0: All right. It looks like we are kicking the live. Fantastic. Hi, everybody. I'm here with Brian Martinez, who is tech guru for the Honey Badger show. And we have uh, contacted one of the Honey Badger, see if she's available here tonight. But we're going to talk about masculinity in the age of chaos and riots and looting with reference to George Floyd, Officer Dorn, you name it. Uh, Brian, thanks so much for taking the time today.
1: Oh no, thank you for having me. It's, it's an honor, really. Uh, the, the work that you've been doing on your show is, uh, I think it's just absolutely crucial, especially with what's going on now. And this discussion about masculinity is something that I've been trying to have and I try to have with my audience as often as possible. Um, I do think it is, like I said, it's an absolutely crucial thing that no one wants to talk about.
0: Well, and it's to me, it's a, it's a fantastic topic and a very, very important topic for, I mean, a wide variety of reasons. One of them, of course, is that we're seeing kind of the tip, tip of the iceberg, right? So you see a lot of youths, a lot of black youths, some white youths, uh, not, not a whole lot of East Asians, but, you know, that's uh, no. not, not, not diverse in, in the way that it's supposed to be. But here's the thing that I find is really, really sad about what's being talked about. And I guess we'll sort of kick it off from here. We do want to take some questions from the audience as well. But this is what I find really, really sad, Uh, Brian. You look, when I look at someone in a video, right, you see, to me, the tip of the iceberg of who they've existed as, as a human being for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. I guess in George Floyd's case, it was 46 years. And what I do is I sit there and think, okay, what were the dominoes in a sense that had to fall in this person's life where they're out there looting, setting fire to stuff, defacing stuff, uh, hitting people, attacking people in some cases as we saw with Officer Dorn, murdering people in cold blood for a television set. And you have to sit there and say, okay, what steps occurred? Now, I'm not a determinist, so I know that there's free will, there's choice and all of that. But free will operates within the limitations of a reality that has been experienced. So when I look at something like this and you see 30 seconds of someone's life and they're wailing on someone or they're grabbing someone and and running or shooting at someone, I sit there and say, okay, that's 30 seconds. And, you know, that's obviously important. But I think about all the things that had to happen for them to end up in that Situation, and this doesn't remove criminal responsibility. It doesn't remove personal responsibility, but I think we do have to look a little bit deeper and see what people are bringing into the
1: frame, rather than just looking at that tiny little snippet. If that makes sense, absolutely. Every uh, the, those final moments, like you are pointing out, I also look at every single decision made by the individuals involved, and also what you know what was their life like leading up to this moment. Uh, what was in the case of George Floyd? like what what was his home life like when he was a young man? Why did he turn to I think he was in a gang and he had, uh, he had drug abuse problems. and on and these things and, and I think there was alcohol maybe to excess. He clearly liked cigarettes. Um, I think that that all of these things are indeed factors. they they're they come from a place. And I think that that is, essentially the main problem and by the way just for, for your audience so they know uh, I'm 46 years old I was born and raised in Chicago on the west side I still live there and I've been around uh, minorities I'm you know I'm Puerto Rican um, you know I've been around uh, blacks and latinos my whole life and I've seen gang violence I've seen neighborhoods go to absolute pits of uh, drug drug addiction drug dealing gang violence prostitution etc and I could see like the I can kind of see it I guess you could say uh people like George Floyd around me all the time they just haven't gotten to that point yet. And so I'm with you on that. I agree that uh you know d- these things don't come from nowhere. They're they don't necessarily define a person's very core, but there is a story that we have to get to and this is the problem because we can't be honest about these things.
0: So one of the um I guess important pieces of information that I have with regards to uh, George Floyd is he has um, a a bunch of kids right and a bunch of different baby mamas to to use the colloquial phrase so he has a son named Quincy Mason Floyd and he has a a, a daughter named Connie Mason Floyd Uh, quick question Brian how long do you think it had been when he died how long do you think it had been since George Floyd had seen these two children
1: Oh, I was thinking about that because I did. I I noticed that uh, one of his baby mamas, I think she started like a GoFundMe like the day after or something, like very shortly after this happened. And I thought to myself, even though she had a photo of him holding this baby, I wondered how involved in that baby's life he actually was. Do you have anything more recent would be the first question that I would ask. And this is not, look, this is not to
0: bag on the guy. He's dead, and I don't want this to, you know, it is not a a George Floyd bashing section, but I Mm -hmm. do want to sort of point out that this opens up a discussion about masculinity, not just in the black community, but, but all over, right? So his son and his daughter, at least his eldest son and his daughter, had been estranged. Now, the way it's described, Brian, is they say they these two, the young boy and the young girl, not young anymore, I suppose, they had been estranged from their father for 15 years. Now, that is a very strange way of putting it when you think about it, right? Yeah. How can children be estranged from their father? <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. You know, kids just no. aren't like, talk to the hand. I don't want to have anything to do. Like, they're five years old. I'm estranged from you. That's not how it works. What it means is that George Floyd had abandoned his eldest son and eldest daughter for 15 years. And this young man, this young woman, Quincy and Connie, did not even recognize their father on the news. Mm -hmm. How absolutely heartbreaking is that on just about every conceivable level? I mean, my father died recently and we were, I guess you could say estranged, although it was a little bit different because... Uh, He divorced uh, my mother and and for a variety of reasons ended up moving to Africa. But this is something that needs to be talked about when we are seeing in the black community 75% fatherless rate, so to speak. When we have an entire system, a welfare system, that is set up to keep fathers away from their children. People generally don't understand this, that a lot of times you can only get maximum welfare benefits if there's no father, there's no husband in the home. So we're literally paying women to have children with men and then paying them to not have those men in their lives, in their houses, in their apartments. And that is an appalling thing. Because we Mm -hmm. we understand mentorship is so important in society. We always hear about, oh, you know, women can't possibly think about, little girls can't possibly think about becoming scientists unless they see tons of lady scientists patrolling around the arena. And it's like they can't possibly come up with themselves. But somehow boys are supposed to embrace healthy masculinity with no father in the home. And that is... Is something we really, really don't want to talk about that much. And and given that I am like moth to a flame, drawn to these controversial topics, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. And I do, you know, we'll talk about this with Brian and myself. I do want to get your feedback from the audience as well, which is, what uh, if you grew up without a dad, or if you grew up with negative male role models or a negative father? How do you think it affected you? How do you think it affected you? What was the impact. For me, I mean, it was pretty clear how it affected me in that Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I ended up thinking that masculinity was not provision and protection. That's what healthy masculinity is about, providing for your family and protecting them. For me, it was much more shallow and much more peacockish in a sense in that it's like, well, it's about how many women you can date and how much money you can accumulate and how much status you can achieve and the kind of car you drive and like all of that shallow, excuse my phrase, bullshit, is what rushes in in the absence of healthy male role models. You end up being basically played by Playboy and marketers (laughs) to the point where you're a highly profitable um, serial dater for a sort of late capitalist economy. So I do want to get your thoughts, your feedback, but what are your thoughts on all of this, Brian?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right about that. You know, it's funny what you're describing when you say, well, you know, when I didn't have a mother or I'm sorry, when I didn't have my father around, I thought of masculinity as this kind of, you know, machismo alpha posturing thing where you, you know, acquire currency and disregard wenches, whatever, you know, and all of that. And the the the. The truth is that is what a lot of these young men in these impoverished areas that don't have fathers, regardless of their race. So this isn't about race at all. This is about gender. I think the gender conversation is the most important conversation. In fact, Um, they are going in with this this image of masculinity that they're getting from, uh, you know, from their media, from the, these large corporations, these weird distortions, and they don't just get it from there. They also get it from their mothers and the women in their communities that also did not know what positive masculinity is. Like these things obviously don't happen in a vacuum. And the irony of it is feminists are the ones that, feminist policies created the situation, but they're also identifying the product of their own creation and calling it toxic masculinity, which yeah. is this this bullshit term that basically represents anything that men do, because it really doesn't identify specific things. But it mostly points at the stuff that it, that anything that's truly negative, they're essentially fingering, uh, no pun intended, at um, the, the negative aspects that uh, behaviors that men engage in, which are actually a product of the single mother problem. And it's in fact, a lot of what you see, like when these men, these young men, they form gangs because they're trying to get a sense of family. They want a sense of belonging. They want a purpose in their life. Their mothers, they are often really violent. They're tyrannical in the home. You know, they're not they're working long hours if they have jobs. Again, I'm not I'm not attacking single moms. I'm sure it's difficult. And sometimes it is what it is. But uh, this is the it it perpetuates the cycle so they're violent to their children they teach their children that violence is how you solve problems those children use violence to solve their problems and they they engage in more emotionality like uh positive masculinity traits of that such as stoicism and honor uh, that those don't exist They, they, they 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 crave them but they don't understand them because they don't have fathers that demonstrate it and the girls are affected the same way they they hit puberty earlier, they're ready to make babies faster because their body is telling them you need a man and what they select for changes. So, you know, in a, let's say like in uh, areas where high earning potential and requires high IQ, girls and women select for men with high IQ because they know that that's the best way to get their safety and security. But in Areas where they, you know, this is all done uh, by force, where it, it, being smart in the black community is is not regarded as having much value. Oh, in come fact, on. It's worse than that, isn't it? A lot of times yeah, you're it's, acting it's, it's white and you're too good for us and they're trying yeah. to pull people down a lot of times. Yeah, exactly. And that comes from the women there, too. So this is what I'm saying. It's reinforced by the women there. They don't select men for uh, you know, their earning potential, their education, their high IQ, they select them for their ability to essentially use force to get what they want. And so and I think that that, again, because, I, I, you know, I, women are not in a vacuum in this situation. Their selection is changed because their mother's selected for the same traits. This is why you have a very small number of men that tend to be the most, the biggest and the strongest and the most. I guess, uh, uh, most willing to engage in violence, which is probably why George Floyd had so many baby mamas, because he's a really big guy and intimidating and, you know, like nobody's going to get in his way. He can take what he wants from them. And so women were like, oh, I want to reproduce with that guy. And they in turn teach that to their children. So it's like this cycle that is actually it's bringing the, the black community down. And they are the canary in the coal mine here. So this isn't unique to them. Um, this is something that we're seeing there first, but it will affect everybody if this cycle is allowed to continue.
0: Well, I, uh, I think it's fairly safe to say, Brian, it's affecting everybody right now. <laughs> it certainly. E- even is. us for having True. this
1: discussion. <laughs> now,
0: because, look, the funny thing is about men and women, it is fundamentally anti rational for men to blame women and for women to blame men. Because after four billion years of evolution, we are exactly as our ancestors have picked. In other words, why do men have 40% more upper body strength than women? Because women chose men who were stronger. And why is it that women have higher voices and retain this this neoteny? Neoteny is the retention of childlike characteristics into adulthood, right? They're smaller, they're weaker, they have higher pitched voices, they don't grow facial hair. So why is it that, and you you sort of see the extremes of these baby-faced anime Characters which are just, uh, I think, bare-naked ladies have a uh, song lyric about how creepy that is, right? Yeah. But why is it that women have the characteristics that they have? Well, because men have chosen women who had those characteristics and have reinforced the genetics that are at the basis of those characteristics. And why is it that men are the way that they are? It's because women have chosen the men who end up with these kinds of characteristics. Again, over, you could say, 150,000 years of human beings or 4 billion years of evolution or a couple of hundred million of mammals or whatever you want to say. We are the shadow of each other's choices. And it's sort of strange to me when women get mad at masculinity or when men get mad at femininity, to me, it's almost exactly like somebody paints the best possible picture he can paint, looks back and says, my God, that's an ugly painting. Who did that? I think
1: It's kind of crazy. We
0: have chosen each other. Now, as you point out, these things can shift pretty quickly when you have bad government incentives in place. In other words, when women get more stable resources from the government than they would from a male provider, and maybe even more resources from the government than they would from a male provider, then they don't have an incentive to choose a responsible man. In fact, they have a short-term sexual high makes me tingle kind of incentive to choose a guy who is very aggressive and and all of that. And so I get that there's really bad incentives at the moment and that's shifted things quite a bit not just uh in terms of culture but even genetically. I mean it's very very easy to shift generations to or from violence based upon incentives. There was a Russian researcher a couple decades ago. He put forward this uh, experiment. He said, "Okay, So foxes are kind of like in the middle of aggression between dogs and and wolves, right? So he said, I wonder how long it would take for me to breed really aggressive foxes or really docile foxes. So, of course, what he did was he took the most aggressive foxes and bred them with each other. And he took the most passive and docile foxes and bred them with each other. And within a couple of generations, he basically had two different kinds of foxes, ones that were extraordinarily aggressive and ones that were extraordinarily passive, which is kind of the domestication of animals that's been going on for thousands of years for human beings. So things can shift, and there definitely are genetic basis to uh, aggression. There's, there's uh, levels of testosterone, although yep. testosterone is more about dominance, but it can def- definitely toxicify into aggression. And there is the warrior gene, which mm-hmm. is, uh, some, is more prevalent in some ethnicities than others and so on, and that does seem to be associated with crime. But nonetheless, you know, the presence of fathers in the household to me is so, so important for helping boys to tame that wild aggression that hits them when they hit puberty and find a way to channel that into positive competition rather than negative destruction.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And in uh, in addition, I was going to say that uh, to to your comment about how fast these things can shift, I'm reminded of how well the black community was doing before the introduction of the welfare state as a means to support. They were building their own businesses. They had their own economy and, you know, they were, and I think they were probably, and I couldn't say, you know, this for certain, cause I, I don't have a time machine. I'm not sure if there's records of this, but I would bet that they were probably, Um, They had much lower rates of crime. They were probably a lot um, more uh, agreeable with each other, willing to cooperate. Like this now in the hood, as I like to call it, it's where I live, um, there isn't a lot of cooperation amongst young men that are are fatherless. It's mostly about domination and competition. And there is a lot of, um, you know, uh, misused energy. I would guess that the introduction of the welfare state and... Uh, abortion probably to to a, a large extent as well has shifted the black community a lot and another thing that's worth pointing out this is important as well since women don't have to select carefully because they can just pick the men that are the most aggressive and there is no uh, in fact they're in, incentivized not to commit to that man and instead just make as many children as possible so they can maximize their benefits um There is accidental inbreeding that happens in the black community because there are so many children who grow up in single mother homes that Hmm. don't know who their father is. And so when they hit puberty and they start sort of like becoming sexually active and a lot of these people, they don't leave the community. Right. Because they're kind of they're kind of stuck because they're they're the welfare state keeps them poor. It's the purpose of it. Right. Because they want to make make sure that they vote for more welfare every time it's time to vote. So you can't make it to where they can like get out of the situation. So they're stuck in these communities. And what happens is the, the young girls and boys who don't know who their father is because the mother doesn't remember, she's slept with so many men and, you know, uh, she's using her eggs for whatever. They might actually come into contact with each other, not realize they're related by blood and also have sex and make babies. And so you have this, it happens. And again, it's one of these things nobody wants to talk about. But it definitely happens, and it is another big problem because it does, um, you know, long term. I mean, there's all kinds of genetic problems with inbreeding, obviously. Uh, so yeah, that's a that's another issue.
0: And I just wanted to point out because whenever you talk about breeding and its effects, uh, people, I. Don't necessarily respect them intellectually but they'll jump straight to the e-word eugenics and of course eugenics is a government program i'm a no government guy i despise eugenics as a government program but nonetheless we do have to recognize that when there are incentives in place every single aspect of the human personality has, is influenced by genetics. There's, like, they've never ever found an aspect of the human personality where there's no impact from genetics. And mm-hmm. uh, this has nothing to do with eugenics. It's nothing to do with any kind of government program. But we do have to recognize the dangers. When we start messing around with reproductive choices based upon coercive government programs, that is a terrible, terrible situation. The welfare state is a form of breeding control. It is a form, certainly, of breeding influence, and that is going to have an effect on society. I'm, because I'm against eugenics that I'm against the welfare state because it is a form of tinkering with people's free choice when it comes to who they have sex with, who they have children with. So I just really wanted to point that out because people get a little baffled or confused or I guess upset yeah. or angry about that kind of stuff. But no, eugenics is a specific government program which I absolutely, completely, and wholeheartedly, unreservedly oppose from the very bottom of my heart. But we do need to talk about these kinds of effects because we really do want to solve these problems. You know, I want the, all communities, the black community, to do well. I want them to have better, like the family togetherness was almost 400% higher back in the 1950s. And who's going to say that racism was somehow less in the 1950s, right? So black uh, illegitimacy was below 20% in the 1950s. Now it's uh, cruising up to 80%. So... We do need to have these discussions. I'm sorry if it makes people upset. Um, if if talking about facts, reason, and evidence makes you upset, uh, there is an entire catalog of cat videos to entertain you, uh, rather yeah. than have you m- muck up an intelligent discussion about actually solving problems.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I want to make a, a word about the police in the black community as well. And this is this this is like getting close to I think one of the most important parts of this conversation. Um, So when there are no fathers in the home and everything is single motherhood and, you know, these grown uh, grown men that are either, as you say, abandoning children or they're kept from their children, because, again, these these women are not at all incentivized to keep their fathers around. So they usually just disregard them. Um, and, or they just pick them for purely sexual reasons and not really because they're somebody who's going to stick around. So they're rewarding bad behavior um, themselves, right? Just like, they, the, the, like the state is rewarding bad behavior by giving them uh, the, the welfare state and, a ho- and housing and everything else. By the way, most of which is paid for by men. So when it, because men pay the, the, the overwhelming majority of taxes that goes into the welfare state and women benefit overwhelmingly. Um, so, uh, the police, so the way that the, the, what, one of the things that's interesting about the police in the black community is they are used as a kind of, um, replacement for the father Hmm. as a babysitter in a lot of ways. And not only because they, they have to essentially police neighborhoods that are, that have a, a lot of young men, usually the young men are the ones they come in contact with. Um, so this isn't really about race. And that's something else that uh, annoys me about Black, Black Lives Matter because they use the race card to talk about a gender issue. But uh, they, they're they usually interacting with young men and they have to be like a kind of uh, paternal figure on behalf of the community. and. Black women, because if they are angry with a man or if they want to uh, engage in domestic violence, they will use the police as a weapon against black men. In fact, um, mo- more black women call the cops on black men than cops that just you know randomly run into black men and, and they use them as a, a tool of abuse. Which is kind of interesting because you know they're talking about abolishing the police in, in Minneapolis uh, and just removing that. Yeah, that's that's not that's not going to end well. But what's what's interesting about it is um, it will, in a way, sort of like declaw black women's weapon against black men in these abusive relationships. So it's really interesting because, again, most cops are men as well. So they're basically using men against men. um, And uh, we're not talking about men in all of this, in all of this. So.
0: Well, OK, so if we're going to we're going to take a nice deep dive here and keep everyone's attention, who people in the chat saying i got to go eat. But this is too interesting. Well, I agree with you. And it is it is really oh. important. And, you know, Brian and, and I are here in, in this conversation, you know, with love, with positivity, trying to help solve problems. And if that means challenging questions and challenging conversations, so be it. You know, you've got to really care about people enough to take. The bullets of outrage and hostility when you're treading upon sensitive ground. And we're going to try and do it in a positive and productive manner. But, you know, just just hang in there. This is really, really important. So one of the statistics that I've talked about over the years, which is absolutely unremarked upon, and it comes out of a, a study run by by Blacks, in fact, which is that depending on when you've asked, somewhere between 40 and 60 percent of black women report being sexually assaulted by black men before they even turn 18, right? The, the, the little girls, right? So the prevalence of childhood sexual assault in the black community, and it happens in other communities, of course, we've heard about it in Catholic churches, uh, which is a relatively mm-hmm. small issue compared to the sexual assaults yeah. that go on in government schools, the sexual assaults uh, that go on in certain sects within Judaism, the sexual assaults um, that occur in, in uh, let me just finish up here, the sexual assaults that occur within uh, certain Islamic communities, particularly in thinking of Afghanistan and so on. So sexual assault of children is a pretty huge worldwide issue. And we're talking between 40 and 60% of black girls have reported this. That is going to create such a fractious relationship between the sexes, right? If... if So many of these girls are growing up. And listen, if it doesn't happen to you, maybe it happens to your sister or maybe it happens to your best friend or maybe it happens to the kid three rows over in the school and you hear about it. This preying upon the children, you know, hey, you know, let's absolutely let's have a conversation about racism. But we also got to bring this kind of stuff in because no amount of screaming racism at white people or or you Puerto Rican people, no amount of screaming racism is going to protect those little girls. And and part of me thinks, okay, well, maybe the whole scream of racism is kind of cover up this basic fact that there do seem to be a lot of predators in this community. And boy, you know, that that would seem to be a kind of important thing to talk about. Like the fact that, say, East Asians have higher incomes than blacks is something we should definitely talk about and we should definitely discuss. But I'm pretty sure. If a black girl is being sexually assaulted by a black man, she's not sitting there saying, yeah, but my real problem is East Asian average income. You know, her (laughs) real problem is right there, right on top of her. And that's something that we really need to discuss. Like, I really can't get into this topic too much because of how much my heart breaks for these little girls, these black girls who who are being preyed upon in, in this manner. And it's not even something we can talk about in general because... It's not profitable. You can't get money from it. You can't get George Soros money to found BLM. You know, the Marxists uh, are not keen to get behind you on this. Only those of us who recognize that the more children are harmed, the more they will grow up to harm society and are really trying to break the cycle of violence. Well, we're singled out for, uh, you know, (laughs) this kind of opprobrium. But uh, it's it's worth taking those bullets, so to speak,
1: uh, because if we can't help the kids, we can't help anyone. Absolutely. And the only thing I wanted to add to that is that there's also there is a really big problem with young uh, underage boys being sexually assaulted in black communities as well. Uh, They don't talk about it as much because, again, there's stigma around um, men recognize when they have been uh, abused, recognizing their own suffering, their own, uh, let's say, victim status when it's applicable. And there's also a really, really big problem with young men getting sexually assaulted in juvenile facilities, so juvenile yes, hall. Facility. Often by that's female a, staff members. as often, well. Yep, that's right. Uh, so and, and what does this do? And I think that you're right about that. There is a big problem with uh, se- like sexual assault cases in general in the black community. And I think a lot of it is people who have been damaged that this is what they know. They damage other people. And it's like, I just want to figure out how to break the cycle. But th- you can't even start to do that unless you talk honestly uh, about the problem. So um, go ahead. Go ahead. I just I wanted to pivot. But if you wanted to add no, on no, p-
0: pivot away, we'll, we've got right. we've got a pretty wide acre to plow here. So yeah, whatever you want to do is, is a, fine with
1: me. This is a big yeah, this is a big topic. Um, you know, it's it, the reason why I'm a men's uh, issues advocate is mainly because I do see what happens in communities like mine, uh, which is clearly a problem with fatherlessness and and you can't even begin to have or move towards a free society, which I know is something that you are big on uh, unless we restore the family without that. You're just, you're, you know, you're just, you're basically, you know, you're trying to drive a race car with only two wheels, uh, you know, on the front or something. So we need to get that addressed. That has to be talked about. And one of the things that um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the way in which, black lives matter uh which is a feminist website it's a feminist group it's not actually about blacks it's well, I think technically not. it's
0: marxist but it's marxist leninist yeah. feminist
1: yeah but it's a feminist group they it's all over their website if you go to blacklivesmatter.com find out what they're about you'll see it's spelled out and one of the most disgusting things about this group is they actually prioritize women because they're feminists right so they always see women as the oppressed and men as the oppressor in whatever framing it doesn't matter as long as it's feminist that means women are the oppressed group and men are the oppressor group and they this is a a feminist group or organization that essentially makes the claim that black women in the black community are oppressed by black men, therefore black men. And they've actually said this in articles I've seen, they, I think they say black men are the white people of black people. So essentially within the black community, the black men are the, the white men. And the ironic thing about this is they rake in millions, if not I, maybe even a billion at this point, but they've raked in millions and millions of dollars in donations and it's all run by women. And they're all like intersectional lesbian feminists. Um, But they use the deaths of black men as the tool to boost their movement while also giving black men the lowest priority in terms of who they want to serve. So think about that. They they exploit black bodies. And again, I'm not saying that those men should not have died. I know the stories behind the, the cases they use to push their movement forward. That there's clearly the issues that are not going to be addressed by them, but it's like it's sort of like an extra sting on top. It's like it's like a lemon juice on the wound to say, oh, and on top of all of these lies surrounding these stories that we've used to validate our movement, Black Lives Matter, it's actually black women that are the biggest victims. And, they're, they're, and, then, and black men are the oppressor, so we need to overthrow them. And they actually talk about the family being dismantled and taken apart and all of the ways in which essentially it's all anti-male, but it uses men's deaths to promote itself.
0: Well, there could, uh, there could even be a darker explanation, my friend, which is, look, we know statistically that when it comes to child abuse and in particular sexual abuse of children, The biggest risk factor by far is not having a father in the home. And a child who has a non-father, a non-biologically related adult male living with the child is more than 30 times more likely to be abused. More than 30 times more likely to be abused. So it's just a hypothesis. I don't have any proof. There's certainly data to, to back it up, but it's not ironclad. But I sometimes wonder if all of the people who are most focused on removing fathers from the household who are most focused on destroying the family structure and keeping fathers at bay might not have something to do with a particular predilection sexually because uh, it's a great way to open the gateway to get at the victims that you may be hungering for. And every time I see, I'm just, just, I'm just spitballing here, but every time I see we got to destroy the family, what I really hear is,
1: I want to get at the children. <laughs> yeah right no i I think that's right. I think that there 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 is a a problem uh a, lot, a, a myriad of, of social issues that the black community is suffering from and i I think that and I want to make this clear because i I do see the chat and they're saying that I'm avoiding the topic of race. It's not that I don't recognize there there are racial differences it's that I think the gender conversation is the more crucial one if we want to help communities like the black community, because the relationship between men and women is the most important relationship. The the, the groups that need each other the most, right, are men and women. We were meant to be cooperative. And when we look at the product of the black community, I'm not saying that everyone will end the same because, you know, we are genetically different, obviously, but we have to acknowledge that most of what is occurring is due to the divide, the ravine between men and women. Uh, well, essentially what we have done is we have given women too much love, which we have called respect, and we have given men too much respect and no love. So essentially everything that a wait, man wait, does- I think I get the first one. Which is if if you
0: overpraise women, praise is like a drug for women, like men are susceptible yeah. to status, women are susceptible to to praise, so I think I get the first one, like you talk about how empowered women are, they kind of detach like helium balloons from reality and then just bump around and get exploited. It's a terrible way to cripple women's sense of self protection, yeah, but tell me about this men have been you know well, as as a man, I don't men... feel
1: that I've been drowning in respect from the culture as no. a whole over my life, but maybe i I'm sorry I'm missing something, I guess what I'm saying is is that um. You're right. From popular culture, uh, men are not respected. I mean, like in terms of how we value men as less normal people, not necessarily what the media does and all that, because they're essentially trying to figure out how to dismantle that. But a man's worth comes from his ability to produce and be of use to people, be of utility. And that's what men want. This is actually the reason why we have a lot it's of not these about young it's a feature. <laughs> No, it's right. It's a feature. Exactly. And so when this is the reason why we have um, men who join extremist groups, they're usually broken, uh, fatherless, or they've had a really abusive home. And so they they want to be a part of something because they don't feel like they're attached to their family. So they join groups like Antifa, which is actually... Uh, run by women and they take broken men and they say, we're going to give you purpose. And they join a communist group and they don't even know what they're advocating for most of the time. And the same guys will join jihadi groups or they'll join uh, white nationalist groups, you know, or whatever. And, and it's because men ultimately do not want to be a burden on society. They want to be of service. They find that they don't have value intrinsically. At least that's where, uh, they kind of find themselves now and women have an excess of an intrinsic value. We tell them that they're perfect just the way they are and they don't need to do anything else. And, and they actually end up unhappy for this in the long run because they find that they haven't actually done anything, but they're being told that they're perfect. And so we have a problem where we I guess I'll, I'll rephrase what I'm saying. The problem is, is that we love women too much and we love men too little. And then on the flip side, we don't respect women because I know that women, they go around demanding respect. And a lot of white knights online will say, respect women. But I don't think that's how you pronounce it. If I (laughs) respect women, or or is it something the way it's spelled? Anyway, go on. It's women, yeah. Uh, Respect women. But when they say that, they don't know what that means because respect is earned. And uh, a person who has actually earned someone else's respect you know you've done it because you feel a sense of accomplishment so this is what we, this is where i think the word you've, you've heard this word it makes me cringe whenever i hear it empowered mm. do you know do you know you know what i mean <laughs> what does empowered mean well what it means is someone outside of yourself is telling you that you have value and so their um, empowerment is something that i think it's it's given to people. And and when you accept that, like, oh, I feel so empowered because someone else did something. Well, that's empty. It's nothing. Like, what have you done? And I think that this is what one of the problems, it, it factors into the issue between men and women. There's this big gap. It's the We call it the empathy gap.
0: Well, of course, whenever you run around saying to people, we want to empower you, people don't get that the subtle message there is that you're disempowered to begin with. And that's not a good... Like, everything is the flip side of that. You know, we're going to respect you. Well, are you saying I'm not respected now? We're going to empower you, wait. Are you saying I'm not empowered now? Like, it's it's all got a flip side. They're just trying to reach out their feelers and see if they can get you addicted to their drug of approval. Now, with regards to things like BLM, things like Antifa, and, and these general, these hard leftist organizations, so... I think it's impossible to understand them without recognizing, Brian, that the money is going to run out and it's going to run out kind of soon. Like the level of debt accumulation, the instability of the US economy. I know Trump's talking about, I have built this great economy. It's like, yeah, I can build a house of cards too. But <laughs> as soon as someone opens the door, they're all face down on the floor again, right? So the economy is extremely unstable. The debt levels are absolutely catastrophic. Unfunded liabilities in America are 10 times the GDP. I mean, this, the this, this stuff that the government has promised to pay for it. doesn't have any money to pay for it. So here's the problem. So the women, the single moms or the women as a whole who have, we know the general pattern, like you're some Instagram thought in your late teens and then you sleep around in your 20s and then you get bitter in your 30s and then you become a feminist in your 40s and you've you've squandered the, the great glory and gift of femininity, which is youthful sexual appeal and physical beauty and fertility and so on. Because that's, you know, it's the only reason that men give resources to women is for sexual access, and the only reason we desperately want sexual access is we're program for that so that we can have children, right? And so once women go past the fertility window, when it's too late to solve their issues, then suddenly they, the hindsight kicks in, but they can't accept responsibility, and they're also really, really angry at the people who lied to them and told them that they were going to be special snowflakes until the day they die, and then they hit 40, and it's like nobody gives them the time of day, and they you know, maybe a couple of uh, a couple of teenage kids will will mount them up like, uh, you know, used bicycles for practice, but nobody's going to commit to them because they can't provide any kids anymore. And a man who has resources, who's successful, is going to look for younger women, women who aren't yep. broken up by too many relationships and, and won't pair bond anymore. And so these women, whether they're single mothers or women who didn't save their money because they had this white knight fantasy that the prince was going to come and save them, or they just figured they're going to land on the government's lap and be taken care of that way. And I think in particular, just focusing on the single moms, the single moms are kind of freaking out because there's not going to be that much money. We all have a pretty good instinct for when things are going to run out. Otherwise, we never could have survived winter, right? And so I think what happens is the single moms are freaking out at the people who want to limit and shrink government because limiting and shrinking government has a lot to do with a couple of things, right? One, of course, the military-industrial complex, which we can talk about another time. But in this male-female thing, I mean, the welfare state is the single mother state. That's what it's for. The welfare state is created to replace, or in fact, displace men who would otherwise have provided for their families. And once a woman has a couple of kids, it's, you know, I mean, what, what decent, healthy, successful man is going to want to sit there and, and pour his resources into raising another man's, children. I mean, Joe Rogan accepted perhaps, but so I think that a lot of this has to do with the moms freaking out, and I don't think it's a conscious thing, but I think moms are freaking out and they gotta send their cucked and broken sons out into the street to make sure the resource conveyor belt still keeps flowing to mommy. And that means pushing back against Republicans. It means pushing back against conservatives. It means pushing back against anti-socialists or anti-communists. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if you like my show, you're probably in that, in that category to some degree.
1: Absolutely. And so
0: a, a lot of it has to do with, I think that these Antifa groups and a lot of the BLM, the the the, the Marxist groups, they are, they're out there and they don't even know it. I think that they're out there on the uh, desperate, greedy mom's apron strings, making sure that the government cheddar keeps flowing to the broken households. And, you know, we all know how women operate if they're dysfunctional. Like, they can't go beat up a guy, but they can sure get, get some guy to beat up the other guy, right? They, oh, he grabbed me, he touched me, he's mean to me. And like, what are you? So this manipulation that goes on is, is pretty common. And pretty, pretty well understood. And I think as the government's beginning to run out of money, you can see this escalation against small government people really, really gearing up. And I think it has a lot to do with got to keep got to keep
1: mommy in in the government paycheck. I think that's right. And also, I think the young men that do this, that join these far left organizations. um, Again, I you know, a lot of the people who lead these groups are women. Uh, Antifa leaders are often women. Black Lives Matter organized by women, so there is, and the and the men who join them, I think there is some kind of weird sort of Oedipal thing going on where they're they're trying to please their mother through other women, and this sort of like you know is how some of the relationships that happen these days don't work out because there is this sort of codependency, a desire to please mom, especially if she was really abusive to them. And I know that you've taken tons and tons of calls from people who have. You know, they're directionless, they're struggling, they're suffering, and they haven't, it's because they haven't addressed the sort of deep-seated, uh, their family history. And I'm sorry and, but, I, I'm
0: sorry to interrupt, but you, no, you, can't, no. you can't help your mother when there's the welfare state. This is the, I don't mind unpacking my heart from a sort of personal standpoint because, you know, maybe it helps people understand one of the reasons why I'm so passionate. It doesn't affect, I think, the quality of my arguments. But look, my mother went crazy. And I think that there was a time when strong intervention could really have helped her. And it wasn't a huge window, but I really genuinely believe that strong intervention could have helped her. But here's the problem, man. So I was giving her money and, you know, supporting her and all of that. And because of that, I had some sway. Like I could say, listen, man, mom, you need to get some help. You need to get some therapy. You need to avert this Indiana Jones giant ball of disaster that's coming down the pipe for you mentally, right? But here's the problem. So she just detached from me and went on welfare. And then when she did that, I lost any authority with her. I lost any control I could possibly have with her because I could, she didn't need me anymore. Right. And and when you understand that, you know, I, I tweeted this, so I hope it's not a total shock to people, but... The the welfare state ate my mother, like destroyed my mother, or at least prevented her from taking the steps that might have prevented that destruction. And she ended up institutionalized, and and now she's been on welfare for decade after decade after decade. And there's nothing that I can do. I can sit there and lecture her till I'm blue in the face, but she just doesn't matter. She she gets from now. If I was paying her bills, I could say, look, I'm happy to pay your bills, but you gotta. You got to stop smoking. You got to eat well. You got to get some exercise. You may be, you know, I'll pay for a therapist, someone who can help you deal with some of these uh, demons that have got you by the, by the neck, right? But I lost complete influence. I don't want to say authority or control because that sounds kind of dictatorial, but man, Brian, I... I just lost any influence over my mother. The government paid all her bills and the government didn't give a rat's ass about her, about whether she was sane or not or or how she was doing. And They didn't stop by with bunt cakes to try and talk some reason into her. So they just, you know, she just switched her allegiance to the state and then you you can't help people anymore. You can't save them. You can't, then you're just relying on their potential goodwill and willingness to listen, which if they had, they wouldn't be in that situation to begin with. So the government, you know, seals people up into this dysfunction like you know cask of amontillado, Edgar, amontillado edga just wall they wall them up in these little cells and then they just abandon them isolated by the drip 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 of welfare money and nobody then can reach in through those bricks and help them
1: yeah yeah it's like um well it, it's like having a, a the, the devouring mother as they call it right mm. it, it devours them um yeah, I, I can understand that failure to be able to bargain, I've uh, you know, because you, you can't even form, I guess, like a meaningful bond to say, OK, we're going to help each other get out of this situation. Or I'm going to help you. And but, you know, what I ask in return is that you take care, better care of yourself because I, I want you to live longer. And, you know, but but that maybe the I don't know, maybe I don't want to speak for your mom, but maybe the um, the need to take personal responsibility is the the hardest thing. Because it is, well, it for is yourself, yeah. right? no, yeah. no it's
0: it's kinda like if, if you have some immature kid, and we we're all immature kids, I guess, at some point, right? And you know, you go to work and the boss says, Hey man, I need you to do X, Y, and Z and Z and you need the money. Right? Like I got my first job when I was ten, I was self sufficient since I was fifteen financially. I had three jobs at one point in high school, like and I didn't want to go clean offices, you know, I didn't want to go work in a hardware store, I didn't want to be a waiter but you you need the money and so what you do is you submit to a kind of discipline that you don't want but because you need the money you got to pay the bills you're willing to do it right and and so it's that kind of authority that I'm talking about which is okay I'll show up to work on time okay I'll be nice okay I won't yell at the boss or the customers and 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 that all served me really well in the long run like it really really helped me out in the long run. But if you're just starting that process, you're just starting to get your first job. And let's say you get a surprise inheritance of $5 million. Well, you're going to quit the job, you're going to go be hedonistic, you're going to go because you don't have the common sense to do this. I mean, this actually happened, believe it, it wasn't $5 million, but it actually happened to a friend of mine who came into a bunch of money, and it was really, really bad for him. And if you understand that the welfare state is like winning the lottery, because for most of human history, you know, those who did not toil, uh, who were over the age of five, generally didn't eat. And the mm-hmm. amount of money that you get from the welfare state is more money than the king of England would have gotten in the 18th century. And more more access to resources. You have more um, – greater technology, greater healthcare. Like it's totally winning the lottery for most of human history. And expecting people – to be coachable by their bosses when they've just won the lottery, if, if you wanna sort of frame it that way is, I mean, it's, it's irrational. And and of course, everybody wants to win the lottery, but for most people, it's a complete disaster.
1: Yes, uh, that's absolutely right. Again, I, I was just gonna say that um, when, you know, it's just like Thomas Sowell said, you know, uh, if you incentivize bad behavior, get more bad behavior. It's actually a good, a strong case against uh, reparations, right? I think there was somebody wrote up a. Someone wrote up a plan to spend like $13 trillion on reparations. Right. And it's like, well, why don't why stop at $13 trillion? Why don't you make it a gazillion jillion dollars? We'll just print all of that and give it to everybody. And come on,
0: Brian, you understand clearly that the way to solve historical the historical injustice of taking people's resources by force unjustly is to take people's resources by force unjustly in the present. That's how you you, you take the innocent who had nothing to do with it and you steal from them using the power of the state because you're so against slavery, which is stealing from people using the power of the state. It's just a shakedown. I mean, it's just, it's a straight up. Now, what do you think? I don't don't want to get all deterministic, but, you know, having sort of opened my historical kimono, do you think there was stuff in your life or or, or was there particular moments or, or patterns that at least set you down this road of thinking along these lines?
1: Well, uh, actually, I'm one of a a kind of a rare breed of the men's issues community. I'm not someone who ever had a men's issue happen. Like, I'm uncircumcised, which I'm very grateful for. Probably a little bit of TMI. Um, I did not have a messy divorce. Um, I did not lose access to my kids. Most of these issues have not affected me. But I have seen what's happened to friends of mine uh, who had gone through messy divorces and lost access to their children. And I was trying to understand uh, essentially, why, why would women do this was what, sort of my first thought, because th- this isn't like something that, uh, you know, you saw leading up to. It was really out of the blue. Like you meet this, a friend of mine has brings home a nice girl. He introduces us to her. They date for a while, they get engaged, they get married. She seems great. And then a few years later, I think he, uh, I one friend, I remember this for sure. He helped pay for her medical school. And the moment he graduated, she divorced him. she had <laughs> He had, had a man waiting, and I was like, I couldn't believe that she would be capable of doing that. And then I, I just had conversations with people, and I learned about the herbivore movement in Japan, which is sort of like the they call it the grass eater movement. It's basically men that are avoiding relationships, and that kind of led me down the the rabbit hole, as it were. I learned about MGTOW, and and once I I knew what uh, the men's issues were, it became very very clear that this is the problem in the black community. And in, in Latino communities to a lesser extent, although we do tend to be more family oriented because Latinos tend to be higher, uh, more highly religious. So there's like a you know more, uh, I guess you could say natural order kind of thinking that comes out of that. And that that's really what it is. I, I genuinely want to help people. I'm not affected by these things, but I can see clearly that this conversation is not happening at all or it's happening in a kind of distorted way. Like, uh, you know, John Boyega, the actor, he's a young black man, he was in those awful Star Wars movies. He said, (laughs) he was at the Black Lives Matter protest in the UK um, and he said something that sounded really good, which was, uh, you know, um, we need to restore the black family. And I was like, yes, absolutely, hallelujah, that's, you know, great. But then he followed it up by saying, to do that, men need to respect women and they need to be better to women. And I said, okay, Partly true, but women got to do something too. Like how they, how can they, you
0: blame? <laughs> how can you simply blame black men when the vast majority of them are raised by women? Yes, exactly. I mean, we, are, we are the shadow cast by each other. That's the reality. You know, we are the shadow. You can't just sit there and say we're going to take men out of the community. Women are going to raise the men, but it's still all the men's fault. It's like,
1: come exactly. on, right? But yeah. And the thing is, I'm like, Boyega, you should know this because he had his mother and his father. His father was a minister. He may have had a little bit too much sort of, you know, hardcore trad con, men take charge kind of attitude. I get that. But you have to understand that if women don't change their – in some level, they have to take responsibility for how they raise their children. And also, they have to understand that their choices, because they're the ones that choose who they sleep with and who they make yep. babies with, their choices – are of the utmost importance. If black women tomorrow said, I will only date a man who has like a law degree, a bunch of black men will go into law school because they <laughs> want whatever women want. That's true. It's oh, like I, a thing. I
0: get you. I mean you yeah. know there's there's a a picture I saw on Twitter once of a, a male toad trying to have sex with half a female toad. Like the front <laughs> half had been bitten off and he's like, hey man, I'm going <laughs> in. I'm gonna give it a shot. Maybe, maybe it'll work. Oh yeah, listen, we, we are, men, I talked about this at a men's rights conference um, in Orlando last year. Ah, back when you could travel. Anyway, um, which is, we're terrified of women. We were terrified of women because if they say no, it's genetic death. They have the power to shoot our testicles off by just shaking their heads, right? So, so displeasing women is something that men are really, really loath to do. Like, why do men go to war? Well, they go to war because men will be shunned by women if the men don't go to war. So let's say there's a war. you got a 50% chance of dying. But if you go to war and you come back, a woman will marry you, right? But let's say women won't marry you if you don't go to war. So in one, you have 50% genetic death because you get shot. But in another, you have 100% genetic death because no woman will have your children. So this is why men go to war. because, And this is why they teach women to shun men who don't go to war. Like, you remember this white feather campaign that everyone knows about from World War One, where if a young man of military age was walking around in England or London without his uniform on, a woman would hand him a white feather, which was a symbol of cowardice, and that, you know, women would say, oh, this guy, he didn't go to war, don't date him, and they'd sort of really enforce that. And that's how men, going. You can, get, you can kill a man with a white feather because he's like he's going to make that calcul- calculation. And we're programmed to pass along our genes. And if it means we've got to go through the hell of war to get there, well, that's what we'll do because the alternative is genetic death. So we're terrified of women. And that gives men a natural deference to the preferences of women, which is the women and children, first thing that you see all throughout most of human history. But man, you give man's natural deference to women. And you combine women's dominance of men in that area and wed them to the power of the state, and you, its we live in a straight-up chicktatorship.
1: Absolutely. Men can't compete with the state. That's the worst part. It's like the ultimate alpha. And again, yeah, this means that women have to independently and willingly unplug themselves from that like check their, to some degree, they have to check their hypergamy because that's one of the reasons why they go with the state because they're like, well, I can, you know, I don't even have to make that, make the, the state a sandwich as far as I'm concerned, right? <laughs> Just collect the check, Just got to right? go vote once every couple of years. Yeah, let's go vote. It's no laundry, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and of course, that's without any foresight. They were like down the line, that's really going to hurt their children and so on. But uh, if, if women don't unplug themselves from the teat of the state, and start making sexual selections or demands of men, essentially expectations that men meet a certain standard. Those men will never meet that standard because they don't have to. They can just, you know, like the the the, the few at on the on top that get to have their pick of the litter, as it were, to have sex with guys like George Floyd, for example. Uh, they don't have to commit, but if women insist, look, you know, uh, unless you are. Like you have this job you're going to take care of me. I'm not sleeping with you. Consider yourself genetically executed. The men will change. It's, it's like, like the that- worst email to get. <laughs> 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 it's not that I don't want
0: to date you. It's, it's, it's stronger than that. I wish, I wish to nominate you for being genetically executed.
1: <laughs> That's like, can, can you just, can you just give her brother a no? No. Genetic executions. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. We're going to make it public. I'm going to put this on Twitter, but, uh, yeah it's it's like something that i remember you saying this once years ago and and this has always stuck with me but i knew it was true and that's why men move in the shadow of women's desire yep whatever women want men are going to try to become that and that that means and to see this feminist narrative that men oppress women and control them that's absolute bullshit. it's obviously the reverse of that men do whatever women want and all throughout history women have always preferred security over freedom and men were always willing to give them that security well hang on so i mean that's that's a great quote i just want to massage it a little bit because you
0: know it looks a little tense baby but um (laughs) so women prefer security over freedom but if they're married they prefer freedom because that gives them the most security because that gives the men the meritocracy to go out there and earn the money that keeps them secure
1: Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Because if if they're in if they're in a a stable family with a man who loves them, then they they will get that security. But if you take them out, then they're just going to vote for the security. But they're going to want it either way. And actually, for a lot of women, and this is going to seem oxymoronic, but I've noticed this and I talked to my wife, my wife is great. She's a fan, by the way, Lindsay says hello. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she and I have lots of great conversations about the ideas of freedom and security. And she used to be a feminist when she was younger. Um, and if not like an outright, you know, kind of the, one of these far left antagonized. She was from Canada as well. Um, but she said, you know, what's interesting about women is uh, in, in, they actually view security as freedom. And I know it seems backwards, but this is what is meant. like if you ever ask a feminist and, and I'm using them as they're, they're a bit of an extreme example, but not really, because a lot of normal women will often spout feminist rhetoric, even if they don't call themselves feminists. Um, if you ask a woman like or a feminist like, oh, well, what rights do you guys want? A feminist will say something like, "It's not a right." They'll say stuff that's not rights. They'll say, "Oh, I want the right to be able to, you know, walk home from my college campus without being raped. I want to be able to uh, walk down the street without guys uh, whist- wolf whistling at me." You know, or so basically, free healthcare,
0: which is a right that's forcefully provided by others, and blah blah
1: blah. Okay. Yes, or free abortions, right? Endless free abortions, but they're always asking for stuff that is really the product of the opposite of freedom because it requires the state to restrict people. Like in, I think in Nottinghamshire in in the UK, they've made uh, sexism and wolf whistling illegal. And that means that if if a woman feels that you are sexually harassing her in public and there's a cop around, she can call on the cop and they're gonna come and have a talk with you, um, which is really messed up. So this is, it's kind of like uh, a distortion of terms but it seems to me that if we want women to be free, and I know that they do want that, we have to they they have to start making selections of men for reasons other than where a lot of it is going, you know, which means that if they're in a stable family, they will be secure. So they won't need to worry about voting for the state and then well, and, you know, and just you know, you know get, get,
0: get themselves insurance if something happens to the men and so on. So let, like, this is a topic I've been thinking about for a while. Let me just do a brain dump on you and the audience here, and hopefully it'll make some kind of sense. But I've really been mulling this over for a while. So our relationship to failure in society has gotten really, really messed up. And I think it has to do with the gender dynamic. So... There was a demotivational poster. I I used to have it as the backdrop on my work computer many, many years ago because I just found it kind of funny. But I think there's a lot of depth to it. And it's a picture of a ship that's sinking. And the caption is, disaster. It could be that the sole purpose of your life is to serve as a warning to others. And that's really, really important. So the the, the, the mechanism of failure is really, really important. So there are people who they want to get health insurance after they get sick. Right, that, That's a law in the US. You can't deny someone health uh, insurance for prior conditions, pre-existing conditions, which means a lot of people, they just wait till they get sick. Now, if, if let's say you're a smart guy, I'm a not smart guy, and you, Brian, go out and you get health insurance, and I'm like, ah, nah, forget, I'm, I'm healthy as a horse, right? And then you pay for a bunch of health insurance, and you don't get sick, and I don't pay for a bunch of health insurance, and I do get sick, right? Now, I'm really faffed, right, because it's really expensive sometimes. Let's say it's some really expensive chronic illness and so on. I don't have disability insurance. I don't have liability insurance. I don't have health insurance. I've just really rolled the dice, right? Now, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, Brian. But when you hear those kinds of stories, part of me is like, well, that was stupid. Now, wasn't it? And, and, yeah. and then this guy's like, but I want, I want free health care. And I'm like, no. Like, you <laughs> rolled the dice you could have like you could have come up two sixes, but you came up snake eyes. Like that's really terrible. But if we give you free health care, no one's ever going to buy health insurance again. Yep. So the question is, can we let people fail and fail disastrously? Now, I tell you, for men, it's like, well, that was stupid, man. Like I'm sorry, you should have had health insurance, right? I mean, I had a friend. I had a friend when I was a um, in my early teens, we used to go dirt biking together, and I couldn't afford gloves. He had these big, heavy hockey gloves, like he was like a hockey player, and, and they were like really, really warm, right? And I didn't want to say I couldn't afford any gloves, but we were out there, and my hands were kind of half freezing on the handlebars. And I think he was a little too far down this continuum, but I would sit there and say, Hey, man, Jamie, can I, can I, can I just wear your gloves for a couple of minutes? He's like, Well, why don't you just bring yours? You know, and, and that's kind of a male thing, which is like, well, why didn't you just get health insurance? Well, I didn't. I forgot. It's like, well, it, that sucks yeah. for you now, doesn't it? We let people fail, even to the point of catastrophe. That's a bit more on the male side. And on the female side, it's like, I can't stand to watch people suffer. And the price of failing to get health insurance shouldn't be not getting health care. And it's like, yeah, well, it kind of is. Mm -hmm. It kind of is. Like, everybody would love love to win the lottery, but I I don't get to cry on the altar of eternity because I didn't play the lottery and therefore I didn't win the lottery. But I I went to play the lottery. I want some money. Like, it doesn't work that way. And our inability, like, as women have gained more and more political power, our capacity to just let people fucking fail and fail hard. And it's like, that's why you get life insurance. That's why you get health insurance. Because we look at that and say, well, the consequences of jumping in and saving everyone from their own bad decisions is that nobody ends up making good decisions and we lose everything. And women are like, oh, but, you know, my husband died and we didn't have any life insurance and, and now I'm, I can't pay my bills. And it's like, yeah, that's why you should get life insurance. Like I, that, and if we, if we rush in and solve that, then the whole issue of life insurance gets completely destroyed. Nobody buys life insurance. Those companies go all out of business, and maybe we borrow and print money for a while, but then everybody ends up getting screwed. So our inability to let individuals suffer for the sake of long-term cultural and social and economic continuity, I think has mirrored the rise and influence of women in politics. Women have a really, really tough time looking people in the eye. It's like the eyeball test, looking people in the eye and saying, yeah, this is gonna be really, really tough for you, and it might in fact even kill you, and I'm really sorry about that, but that's why People should make better decisions. And and men have an easier time with that. You know, we're constantly, you know, we have these uh these sports games, right? Where uh, I remember when I first came over to Canada from England, um I played cricket, but I hadn't played baseball. And I'm actually pretty athletic, but um it took me a little while to get the hang of of baseball. And so I just wasn't picked, right? Now, once I got better at baseball, then I was I was picked, right? But, you know, like you see all these movies where it's like the 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 kid with the glasses who's kind of nerdy and and weak and so on he doesn't get picked and it's all this sad music and les Nessman doesn't get picked for the yeah. baseball team and all that and women just fall like that and and men are like i don't want that kid on my team we're gonna lose i don't want to lose you know like i'm sorry kid but hey if you get better i'd be happy to pick you and if the kid's like walking away all sad and violin and crying the women are all like you gotta pick him because he's sad and i'm like no he just he's not good sorry, he's going to get picked last. And then that's his incentive to improve or, you know, maybe he wouldn't pick me for the mathletes or the computer science club or something, but this is baseball and, sorry, that, gets, that it, there's no crying in baseball. I don't know if you remember that from that old Tom Hanks movie, A League of Their Own. Like, she's <laughs> crying and it's like, there's no crying in baseball. And it's like, That's kind of true. A lot of times people are just going to lose and they're going to fail and it could even wipe them off the face of the planet. And what's our option? To distort all of the incentives that we have to save a few people and thus guarantee more bad decisions. But sorry for the long rant, but uh, we
1: just we can't let people fail anymore. And that means we're failing as a society. I agree. I think that uh, men's desire to take risks. And that is, I think, partly why, you know, there are situations where guys were like, I don't need health insurance. I'm, I'm fine, you know, and and what am I, yeah, gay? So, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I might as well put a dick in my mouth. But uh, I, I think that that is, it, it is a masculine thing to do that. And I, I think that that's something we could be tempering. Like, yeah, it's probably a good idea, especially if you're going to have a family, you want to be around for them and all that. But I think the flip side of that is a, an excessive doting mother thing where it's like, we should take care of the weakest of us all the time. And it's like, yeah, but the way you want to do it is immoral. For one, I mean, you don't like you can. The, the strongest argument against universal healthcare is it's immoral. Another thing is, again, it's like I said this, but mostly men are paying into it. This is one of the things that I, um, with I don't want to get too political here, but I do have some <gasps> pretty strong political opinions. I know, <laughs> never, never happens on this channel. Ever. No, no, it doesn't. Right. It doesn't. But, but uh, I have noticed that you know, in the men's movement, there are plenty of left-wing MRAs. And I used to be pretty moderate, but as I have sort of looked into these issues more and I've learned more about libertarianism, objectivism, and watch your show and and others like it, uh, I've come to the realization that the welfare state is a men's issue because men pay into it. And they also suffer because families stay destroyed by it. It's one of the things, it basically contributes to all of the problems. And I remember the way I view it is men's rights activists. And, th- and I know that they get a, a lot of shit. Like I've seen Joe Rogan has talked shit about us. And uh, the thing about MRA, Joe, Ro- Joe Rogan endorsed a fucking communist to run the United
0: yeah. States. So let's not talk about Joe Rogan's intellectual abilities here, <laughs> yeah, shall yeah. we? And he yeah, also, yeah. he also recently, <laughs> Joe, somebody said this to me, sorry to interrupt, but Joe Rogan, was talking about how he'd watched 100 videos of looting and he only saw like two black guys and everything yeah. else was like dumbass, stupid white kids looking for sneakers. And it's like, oh man, you got to take that sweet, sweet Spotify communist money and next thing you know, you're bagging on white people. Anyway, that's neither yeah. here nor there,
1: but go on. I Spotify is owned by... China, isn't it? No, they've got a they've
0: got a partnership with Tencent, which is a, basically a state corporation of of China. So yeah, they're they're definitely yeah. patrolling uh, the the the, uh, the rather narrow borders of acceptable speech to their
1: Chinese overlords these days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, but anyway, the, the way I see it is, you know, when people ask me what do men's rights activists want from the state, um, I say, well, no, men's rights activists want to be free from the state. Because the state is what has a yoke on them when it, I mean, we can talk about the corrupt family courts and child custody and the way in which like Title IX, uh, do you know about uh, Title IX and the Dear Colleague letter that Obama put together? And I think Joe Biden helped him. And of course, he's promising. They've actually tried to do work to reverse a lot of this stuff on college campuses uh Betsy DeVos has been doing really good work I think it's, a, it's definitely a step forward and Joe Biden has promised to reverse everything yep. and basically double down on all this because he wants the female vote and so he's going to use fear to get it and so in a lot of ways um you know we are up against a massive voting block which are scared women and then again I'm uh, you know I think that they've been propagandized tremendously to believe but in this rape culture hysteria and all this other business the me too movement etc but ultimately yeah i believe mras are trying to be free from the state they're trying to liberate men from the state and this means talking about police brutality which affects men i think it's like 96 percent of violent police stops are men so this is not a black thing this is not a white thing this is a male thing Uh, Not to say that those are all unjustified encounters, but if we're going to talk about things like police brutality, if we're going to talk about the the prison industrial complex, it's a men's issue to discuss. They are far, far more affected by that. Um, So, yeah. And well, actually, if you want to say something to that, go ahead. I want to talk about uh, David Dorn and George Floyd. Dude, you had uh, I I had a nice long rant, so you you take this one away. Okay, I I just want to pivot to something else. So. I had this really interesting revelation as I was watching the video of David Dorn, which is heartbreaking. I know that you watched it. It's, uh, it's, and then like when I I learned his story and one of the things that blows my mind and it really angers me, like I can feel my body tingling, just thinking about it, how angry it made me. This is what groups like black lives matter and Antifa and the media, CNN, absolutely disgusting. Um, this is how they view blacks, this, and I'm gonna I'm paint this picture for you, okay? So George Floyd lived a life of, you know, probably a single mom. He made a lot of really bad life choices, a lot, and where he ended up. No, I, that's no, I'm sorry, like no, a, I that's not, too
0: nice. I I know that the guy just died and all of that, but we don't no. honor the dead by not telling the truth, right? it wasn't yeah. bad life choices or hey maybe i i picked the wrong major in college or i dated that girl who turned out to be not very good for me or i didn't exercise enough or, or you know those, those I, I you know those are bad life choices for him being part of a gang that performed a brutal home invasion and he jammed a gun into the pregnant belly of a black woman and threatened to kill her if she didn't give him money
1: and drugs that's not a bad life choice that's straight up evil yeah i'm i'm sorry i'm not i'm not trying to Uh, I'm not trying to take that away. I, I agree with you. Well, I guess what I'm saying is it's sort of like when we started our conversation, George Floyd on the ground with a knee on his neck, that did not happen from nowhere. He made a series of decisions, right? He has free will. He cho- He made a bunch of choices is what I mean. I would consider them to be bad. Like, I don't think pointing a gun at a woman's belly is good. Uh, so that's what I mean by that. I guess I'm not using- It's good uh, when we
0: can stand at the same place and start from the same place. I think, I think everyone here recognizes that. Think of the adrenaline dump that gave, think of the cortisol dump that gave to the baby. That can be really harmful. But anyway, go on.
1: Absolutely, I agree. I, I think what he did was terrible. And what, I, what I'm getting at is, what happened with George Floyd did not drop from nowhere. But we're talking about a criminal and we're talking about he him making choices to be criminal. And not only that, but he tried to essentially just for a pack of cigarettes, you know, he broke the law. The, the, the owners of the, the store came out. They offered him an opportunity to take it back. Just give they the cigarettes like, back and you can yeah. go home, which it was, was not great, great for
0: them, them because problem. there was a guy high behind the wheel of a car. But go on.
1: Yeah, but uh, and maybe he would have still ended up dead and we probably would never have learned anything about it because the, the only reason why we're talking about George Floyd is because the media chose this story for us to have to now deal with. But, um, the yeah, so he he broke the law, he did all that, and still, you know, they called the cops on him and it ended with his death, unfortunately. And there's a number of factors involved and, uh, and you've already covered it in great detail, but essentially how he ended up is on him ultimately. And we're talking about a criminal here. And then contrast that against David Dorn. And sorry, or, just
0: before you get to David Dorn, I just wanted to mention oh, something yeah. really, really briefly, uh, Brian, appreciate your, your indulgence here. So if the black community or, or, or the liberal community, the white community, if, if y'all cared so much about George Floyd, why didn't you help him get off drugs? If y'all cared so much about George Floyd, why didn't you sit there in the black community or whoever knew him, whites, blacks, Hispanics, I don't care, East Asians, why didn't you all sit there and say, Hey man, you know, you haven't seen your kids in 15 years. You really should do something about that. L- let me facilitate things. Let me try and figure out how to how to make things better for you. Let me try like if everyone cared so much for this guy, why was his life such a mess even though he was embedded in a community, right? I mean, he was a mm-hmm. almost predictably, almost boringly predictably, he was a rap aspiring rapper who worked with a music uh, fairly famous people in the in the music scene. So, if everybody cared about George Floyd so much, why didn't they sit down and stage an intervention to get him off, I don't know, fentanyl or methamphetamines or cannabis or whatever he was on, which seems to be all a combination of all the above? If you all cared about him so much, why was his life such a mess? Why wasn't the community around him, whatever race, sitting there saying, let's try and help this guy because his life is spiraling down, but they kind of let his life spiral down. They let him make worse and worse decisions. What? happened to all of this care. Now that he's dead, suddenly everyone is like, oh, they're caring so much for this guy. It's like, well, how about some of that where people are alive? How about we do a little bit of that when it actually can do some good to prevent just this kind of disaster? But I think there's a lot of crocodile tears after the fact, because I think a lot of people in the black community as well would be pretty terrified. Think of this black woman who had the gun pointed at her belly. She thought she was going to die. She probably couldn't sleep for a month. She's got PTSD from these uh, this gang. It's four four guys, I think, coming into her house uh, after pretending to be uh, somebody who worked for the, for the city. Um, this I really, really want to remind people that if somebody you know is spiraling down into addiction and violence and criminal activity and bad things, I mean, the time to care for them is not after they're dead but before and if everybody's just weeping and wailing and gnashing their teeth after the guy dies and didn't lift a goddamn finger to help him when it could have made a difference i got questions that's all i'm saying
1: yeah i agree with that um actually it reminds me of have you ever seen the film midsummer i know that you like to watch movies and
0: stuff. do you know i started watching that and i just found it too i watched maybe about a third of it 40% of it and i don't want to give any spoilers away but i I I couldn't get, I just, it seemed to me too unbelievable, but, and also kind of anti-white,
1: but anyway, go on. Well, it's worse than that. It's, it gets well anyway there there is this, like you said, there is this um you know now that uh, George Floyd is dead, these protests, these sort of demonstrations they're highly performative. People are pretending to be you know on the ground and they're and they're wailing, and it's kind of like the the you know have you're seen the feminist performance art where they have women just like screaming into the microphone like banshees and, oh, and yeah, they and act- like
0: like you're running two two hundred and forty volts through Yoko Ono's voice box in a thunderstorm or something, but yeah, go on.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, there, yeah. There's actually a scene in in um, in, in Midsummer where this cult of women, they they all gather around this, the main female character who's had her heart broken and she starts crying because she's genuinely hurt. And all these women are just they're just wailing with her. But it's all phony, like they don't actually feel anything. It was so just chilling. I was just like this director thought of this. This guy is a creep. Anyway, um, like really his mom. <laughs> yeah, really. So, uh, OK, so we've we talked about George Floyd and I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, just... sorry
0: you I, you wanted to get onto David Dorn. I just
1: wanted to throw that yeah. other bit in. But go ahead. I appreciate that. Uh, so David Dorn is his life story seems to be I'm not going to say he's an angel. Obviously, I don't know the whole story, but his life good, story. Though. It is. Yeah, it's it's like a mirror. Good. Right. He was 77 years old, 30-something 30 years, 35 years on the floor. years, I think it was. 30, uh, 38. Yep. Um, you know, uh, his he got along well with his colleagues. That means he was a cop in, like, what, the 60s? Yeah, Probably he, not, got, he right. first became a cop in the
0: 60s, obviously facing quite an uphill battle and, you know, defended his community and seems to be nothing but good reviews from just about anyone that I uh, had read about and and obviously no history with crime and he was a grandfather and and to be married for a long time. So, yeah, seems like a really yeah. great guy.
1: Yep. And he, well, he was married, stayed married, had about five kids and like 10 grandkids. So he's essentially, he is the model man, right? I mean, he happens to be black, but he's a model man in by any stretch of the imagination. And he he,
0: he came out to protect a friend of his shop. After he'd retired, so his friend had a... I'm sorry, because I always pronounce this. People think it's P-O-R-N shop because I get pronunciation wrong, but it's not. It's a P-A-W-N, a a porn, a porn, porn, a a porn shop. I think it was seafood. Oh, no, wet market. But no, it was a a, a porn P-A-W-N shop, and his friend, the alarm went off, and he was like, he's the guy you go to because he's the cop, ex-cop, right? And, you know, he suited up, so to speak, and he went down to protect his friend's property I um, mean, that's a stand-up thing to do in a time of significant chaos, significant danger. The guy's seventy-seven years old, and he's still standing up, and and being there for his friends and protecting his community. And ugh, yeah, and oh, uh, yeah. appalling. Anyway, go on. Sorry.
1: Yeah, though no, that you you said it right. I think that he actually continued to do security after he retired because he he couldn't just stop. It was like as you know, maybe it's a man thing to be like, well. I can't just sit around the house all the time. I want to be of service to someone. So he did kind of like, you know, the kind of security where you just sit in a stool and just make sure the kids don't shoplift or what have you. But he went out there to, to help a friend, not a family member, just a friend in the community. And he was shot and killed over television. And, and this is the darkest image. Cause I, I you know, to think about this, I'm looking at things from his perspective. So out of his eyes, his community is on fire. He's just been shot by someone he might. I mean, I, assuming they, they live in the community, he might even know them. I don't know, because I know that they bust in a bunch of like protesters, like Antifa members. Were, they didn't live there. But but, it, you know, it's a good chance that he recognized this person, that he may have known them. And his last moments were him bleeding out, watching his whole community burn to the ground and and everything's getting trashed and there's one young man talking to him while streaming his death to facebook live yeah the last
0: thing you see is a robot eye streaming your death to the world forever that's that's cold man that's really really cold and uh it's 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 it's, it's, i mean it's it it really hit me hard because i mean this was a stand-up guy that you'd be proud to know and, and proud to call a friend and proud to have as a neighbor and uh I mean, to me, at least, you know, I mean, why did they shoot him? I mean, I don't think they needed to. I don't think they needed to shoot him at all. But they weren't shooting him. Uh, they were just shooting their own absent fathers.
1: Exactly. Yep, you're absolutely right. And, the, and the, this is the part that pissed me off the most when I think about it. So we have George Floyd and we have David Dorn. Who have they painted murals of? Who have they, who have they essentially turned into a Christ-like figure? Who have they claimed, you know, we are all George Floyd? Who, who have they? Ooh, 10, what, a, what a horrible insult to it, the black community to say we are all. Oh, my God. Absolutely. That's my that's basically the thing that I took away from this when I was talking to my wife about it. I said, so Black Lives Matter activists, the media, CNN and so on, the academics, the intelligentsia, all these assholes that don't actually live in this community that don't know the people who live here and they don't know what goes on here as, but you know, even the rich rappers that live in their gated communities with their private security and all that, they want to tell blacks that they should relate to George Floyd instead of David Dorn. They don't even acknowledge the existence of David Dorn. I watched a CNN broadcast that went on for four hours during the riots. Yeah, it was painful. I mean, they brought out Sesame street Muppets and it was just cringe, but no mention of David Doran at all because obviously he doesn't fit the narrative. But it's darker than that. He doesn't match what a black person can be.
0: Well, it goes it goes well, against it goes against the whole racist narrative, right? And we know this from communist documents from the 1920s that they planned to sow racial division uh, in order to take down the republic. That that's how they're going to destroy the free market, limited government, the uh, rule of law, and this, of course. Um, one of the first things that Lenin wanted to do was to disband the police. Uh, this is to create more chaos, more violence, destabilize, draw in resources from elsewhere. And it's a great way to get the good people killed because the good people will stand up for others and try and stand back against the criminals and they just get mown down. Like if you want to kill off a bunch of Christians, what you do is start a war in the Middle East and all of the good Southern boy soldiers, whether they're black or white, will go out and fight in those wars. And uh, next thing you know, you've just eradicated a whole bunch of people who vote for um republicans so listen uh is there more that you wanted to add for david Dorn? because we should probably wrap this up Um am sorry if yeah. i didn't get to enough questions but uh, it's really really great chat
1: no actually this was really good and i think we got through uh most of the stuff i i wanted to talk about but the other thing i wanted to add to that is because i did want to make this point point. one of the things that's interesting about the death of david Dorn versus uh the death of george floyd and the way that most people are treating it based on the way it's been sort of propagandized is symbolically, I was telling this to my wife too, symbolically the death of David Dorn is like the death of the hero, the masculine Mm. hero, because that's what he was. But they're actually calling George Floyd a hero right now, which is obviously reverse, and I know that there's lots of reasons for it, but when you think about it, the way in which we even—and I know that it seems strange—but I'm a comic book artist, and I like telling stories. And I have, I have a, I'm a big fan of of film and uh, and books, and I, I you know I like stories, and I'm I'm interested in the story of the hero because I think it is an inherently masculine tale um, that actually goes way back. Like I think the the story of Christ. Uh, I'm not a Christian. I'm I'm I guess you could say agnostic, uh, but the story of Christ is like the hero's journey. And that journey means a lot to me because I think it's it's something that's very missing because it's how we communicate positive masculinity to each other. It's how we pass that wisdom along. And I think that it's it's just an interesting thing to see David Dorn's death go unnoticed, unremarked, and wow, George Floyd's uh, life is what's sort of put
0: up on a pedestal. Well, that's because you know, we've got three generations here, right? Three generations and it's pretty chilling. You've got David Dorn as the grandfather, you have George Floyd as the father, and you have his murderer as the son. Right? This is three generations of blacks. Now, it is of course a heartbreaking to think, a heartbreaking thing to think about what George Floyd's life would have been had he been David Dawn's son, as opposed to however he was raised, which obviously was pretty brutally uh, raised. But um, yeah, the grandfather, David Dawn, protected life. The um, the father, which is uh, George Floyd was a criminal but didn't kill. And the son, the youngest blacks uh, in the situation, were straight-up killers. And it's tough to look at that and think that's a whole lot of progress, and we're really going to start having to have some tough conversations. You know, the lessons in life get harder until the facts are accepted and learned and, and discussed, and we can shut down all the speech that we want, and it simply means that the pain life provides us gets worse and worse until... Such time as we're willing to have tough conversations, Brian. It was a really, really great pleasure. Do you want to mention your vital statistics on the internet? I've seen a lot of comments about um, that uh, people would rather follow you than me. No, but uh, just oh. tell me, <laughs> tell me where where people can get a hold of your stuff on the internet.
1: Yeah. So, uh, well, a YouTube channel is probably the main spot. Um, I mostly host shows on our live streaming channel, which is called Badger Live Streams. But we also have a main channel called Honey Badger Radio. It is a men's rights. I guess you could say Men's Issues channel that is mostly run and operated by women, one of whom is Karen Strawn. You guys, she has been on your channel before. Uh, that's Girl Writes What? Um, and yeah, that, that you can find them there. So that's where I would go.
0: All right, so that's Brian Martinez. For those who want to look it up, uh, send me a link. I'll put it in the show notes. A real pleasure, my friend. I hope we can do it again and uh, do pass my best regards along to the Honey Badger Brigade. It was a great pleasure to chat with you today. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, thank you so much.